Howdy, folks. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast. I'm Brian Yeager. I'm glad you've tuned in to listen. Today, we're going to talk about salvation by works alone. Well, where'd this come from? Why are we talking about this? Last Tuesday, the podcast was focused on Hebrews 11 and verse 6. We talked about from Hebrews 11 and verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We concluded that podcast in John 5, 28 and 29, with marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, and the which all there in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. So somebody could listen to that podcast, and they could open up their Bible, and they could read passages like Philippians 2.12, where it says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And then they could flip through their Bible and maybe come across the sermon that Peter and the apostles preach in Acts 2 and read Acts 2.40. With many other words, did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Maybe that person continues studying the Bible. Maybe they're, they're thinking about works and works-based salvation. In 1 Timothy 4, 13 through 16, come across these words, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed in thyself and in the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. And maybe look at Paul's words to Timothy there and say, See, save thyself. That's consistent with Acts 2.40. It's consistent with Philippians 2.12. Other passages like Galatians 6.4, Let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. See, so I'm to work hard. I'm to do the, the good works, and then by doing such, I'm going to save myself. Now listen, all of that language is not false. It's scriptural language. I just read the verses that said it. But to walk away with the impression or understanding that your works alone save you is problematic. Well, why is that? Think about this. In Luke 18, 9 through 14, says, he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalted himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So here's, here's the thing. We get great truths when we study the scriptures and we see that works are necessary for salvation. The podcast on Hebrews 11 and verse 6 established that. But there are people 
that then, instead of balancing the entirety of the Scriptures as it relates to salvation, glorify themselves in a manner in which is wrong, like we just read in Luke 18, 9-14. So we want to, in studying salvation by works alone, balance this thing. Now, as not to go too far in one direction or another, I am not trying to unstate last week's podcast, and I'm not trying to say works don't matter. The Bible does teach in abundantly clear terms in the New Testament that works, not works from the law of Moses, but works from the law of faith, works from the law of Christ matter. Uh, let me give you just a rundown real quick of some scriptures so that that we balance this thing before we go to the other side, okay? So that we're not going up and down, up and down, up and down, so forth and so on. In Romans chapter 2, 6 through 11, as Paul is writing to a congregation where there's division between the Jews and the Gentiles, both thinking they're better than the other, he says, who will render to every man according to his deeds? To them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But under them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first and also the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. When we look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, as Paul in chapter 1, 2, and 3 is just trying to bring down the idea of human wisdom and the idea of the wisdom of this world and getting people to rely upon the wisdom that comes from God, not upon man, not upon things of man. And that greater context, he says, he that planteth and he that watereth is one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. In Galatians chapter 6, we looked at earlier, verse 4, if you were to drop down a little bit further in that context, verses 7 through 10, it says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of his flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. To the church in Colossae, this is written, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. As it relates to grace, Paul writes to the evangelist Titus, Titus 2, 11 through 14, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of that great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify himself to a peculiar people, zealous of good works. The book of Revelation, near the conclusion, says in Revelation 22, 12 through 14, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. So, John 5, 28 through 29, all the way to Revelation 22, 12 through 14, and we could have listed many other scriptures 
It is abundantly clear God expects his people to be abundant in good works and that those good works will be what are used in the judgment day uh, as a basis of judgment. So what we're going to talk about in this lesson is not in any way intended to undo those facts, but to balance them. All right. So what about the person that thinks he or she can do so much good in this world that what Jesus did doesn't even matter, that they are truly saved by their works alone. Now, maybe somebody wouldn't put it in those exact words. However, the idea of look at me and my good works mindset has long been a problem. It's long been a problem. You can't lift yourself up no matter how much good you do. Remember the lesson at the end there of Luke, Luke 18, 9 through 14 about, uh, and, you know, being humbled about w- what our Lord said, everyone that exalts himself shall be abased, he that humbles himself shall be exalted. That, that's true throughout the scriptures. In Matthew 23, 12, talking to those that lifted themselves up like those chief seats, like the titles and everything else that came with it, it says, whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. The book of James, in the process of repentance, chapter 4 and verse 6, he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Salvation is not by works alone. Just when anybody says anything alone, you know, the the Calvinistic position, which is, is funny because they'll say things like, we're, we're saved by Christ alone. Uh, through grace alone, by faith alone. I mean, I'm not the most intelligent guy. I, I definitely do not proclaim to be an intellectual at any in any way. It, but to me, it makes absolutely no sense that when you say by something alone, and then you follow that up with something else, that means it's not alone. If it's by Christ alone, why are you talking about anything else? Why are you talking about faith? You know, they'll say not by works. Well, faith is a work. And in fact, it doesn't just originate or drop out of thin air. Uh, Faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. I have to do that. I have to hear before I can have faith. So it, 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 it just doesn't make sense. It's, it's not logical. So I titled this lesson, Salvation by Works Alone, to get you to think. If I'm sitting here and I'm saying, look at all the good I'm doing, I can't wait to stand before the judgment seat of Christ that he can pat me on his back. What am I saying about his role and about other things that work into my salvation? Yes, I play a part. My works play a part. But what if we remove everything else? In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 12, Paul writes to the evangelist Timothy, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which is given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. If you're following the first Peter study that comes out on Sunday's podcast, You know, God's plan of redemption was before the world began. So that knowledge alone 
should tell you that no matter what good works you do, that didn't bring about the plan of redemption. Because the plan was before man even existed, let alone before you were born. I mean, it's just the logical conclusion. Even though the scriptures are now saying that to us, we don't even need that to be said. It's just the logical conclusion. In verse 10, he says, But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. So it's, it's, it's a calling of God, not according to our works, but his purpose, his grace in Christ before the world began. Meaning it's not because of me. When the apostles were facing uh, you know, the trial of don't, don't preach and heal in, in the name of Jesus. In Acts 4, 10 through 12, be it known unto you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you've crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand before you whole. This is the stone which is set at naught of you builders, which has become head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. How do you move Jesus? No matter how many good works you did. From salvation. Salvation is by Jesus Christ. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 9, For God hath not appointed unto us wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. It is, salvation is in Christ Jesus. In 2 Timothy 2.10, Paul says to Timothy, Therefore I endure all things for elect's sake, that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. In 2 Timothy 3.15, That from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You can't get to the Father by somebody else. Not by you. Not by your favorite gospel preacher. Not by your eldership. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's a commonly known verse in the Bible. A lot of people know it, but knowing it and connecting it seems to be a problem. Where people have a knowledge, it's in their brain, it's between their ears, but then they still think, look at all the good that I am doing for Jesus and and." And for the Father, oh, look at me, I'm an amazing person. Look at all these good works. Okay, great. Do good works. Are they glorifying the Father? Matthew 5, 14 through 16? Or you? Why are you doing them? Are you doing them because you think you're building up your eternal bank account and that when God weighs your evil, the side of the scale that has the good will outweigh the evil? No, no, it never will. It never will. Your coming into this world and your good works doesn't bring about salvation. In fact, it's the second coming of Christ that will usher in salvation. In Hebrews 9, 27 and 28, as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. Unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. When he returns, salvation follows. For those of us who have had sinful pasts, 
It's not that we've lived long enough to do so many good works that have outweighed those sinful paths. No, it's the long suffering of our Lord that is salvation. And 2 Peter 3.15, account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved Paul, according to his wisdom given unto, you, given unto him, hath written unto you. The long suffering of God. Christ came in the world by the kindness of God, not because certain people did so many great and wonderful things that built up to heaven and God said, oh, look how good people are. No. In Titus, the third chapter, verses three through seven, Paul writes, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after the kindness and love of, uh, of God, our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration, and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Did you hear that? Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his mercy. Through Christ Jesus, our Savior, justified by his grace, that we should be heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Folks, it just doesn't matter how awesome you are, or maybe I should phrase that how awesome you think you are. You can't separate salvation from Jesus. In 1 John 5, 11 and 12, this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You can't separate the two. I once had a Bible study with a gentleman that is deeply steeped in a, uh, a doctrine of, of grace only. And he asked me a question. He, well, as we were studying, I don't remember the whole entire conversation, but we were talking about the place of works. And I gave him some of the verses uh, that we've talked about at the beginning of this, this podcast that, listen, you just can't ignore them. You can't read some other scripture and say, we're not saved by our own works, so works don't matter, when other verses say we're going to be judged by our works. You have to balance that, right? You have to bring that into focus. You have to understand that Christ didn't come to the world because you were a good person, but you're also not saved unless you become a good person, and that is through your works, through things that you do. And I was trying to explain that balance to him. And he asked me, he said, so how are you saved? And I said, through Christ. And he said, I'm shocked that you said that. I thought you were going to say through yourself. Well, because he's been taught so long that works have nothing to do with salvation, when you start to talk to him about the place of works and salvation and the things that you must do accompanied with the things that God has done, there's a disconnect. He just, he can't put it together, you know, and, and uh, it's not that difficult, folks. If somebody were to write you a million dollar check and say, you need to come to the office, whatever office that might be, and pick up this million dollar check, and you ask them, what have I done to earn this million dollar check? Well, you've done nothing to earn it. I'm just giving you a million dollars. I just want to help you. Okay. But I still have to come to that office. I have to secure that check. But even then, after I have it in my possession, I still have to go and cash it in some way. 
I have to hold on to those funds or use them in certain ways, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If I go grab that check and say, yay, I'm a millionaire, rip it up and throw it away, well, that quickly, I'm no longer a millionaire. If I go and deposit it into the bank and then I spend it, I'm no longer a millionaire, right? I mean, th th this, uh, I've said it before, I'm going to say it again. People have an ability to reason, and then they pick up a Bible, and all of a sudden, all ability to reason seems to go out the window. You read a passage of Scripture that says, save yourselves from this untoward generation, like we read in Acts 2.40, or in Philippians 2.12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Or passages like we read in, in Galatians 6, 7 through 10, and Titus 2, 11 through 14, and we see the necessity of works, that we're going to be judged by our works, whether we've done good or evil, John 5, 28, 29. You can't say, but this verse says I'm saved by grace, so all those verses are now erased by this verse. No, they all have to work together as one gospel message, as one solid truth. The word is truth as Jesus prayed in John 17, 17. Not this part of the word and that part of the word. We can't break them away. You can't say, I believe I'm saved by works and that means you're not saved by grace. You can't say, I believe I'm saved by works and that means not by Jesus. Folks, salvation is not by any one person and that includes Christ. You're not saved by Christ alone. I'm about to prove that. You're not saved by Christ alone or any other thing alone. There's not just one thing. Can you, can you imagine? You're saying that it takes God 66 books that we have possession of to tell you that you're saved by one thing alone. Man, that's like this, this so-called preacher I just talked to recently, a brother here, Bill and I, Bill Lard and I were on. This man could talk for two hours and say nothing. That's not God. When you're reading the scriptures, they're pretty to the point. Each context is to the point. There's not fluff and waste of, of, of ink anywhere in the Bible. Everything has points. Listen to the first Peter study, how much we're digging out of one passage at a time and, and putting it in, in context with other scriptures. We're not saved by one thing alone. Salvation. Think about this. Let's put some scriptures together. And Romans 8, 24 and 25 says, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, what well, he yet hope for. But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it? So here's one thing says we're saved by. So do we just stop here? Say, I'm saved by hope. Hope in what? In who? Because of why? I mean, a lot of people, go back to Sunday's podcast, the lively hope is in the resurrection of Christ, and we, we look at 1 Corinthians 15 for a reason, right? There's a lot of components that describe the hope that saves. But there are people that, hey, these two verses say one thing, that's the whole truth. Okay, but in the same book, in Romans 10, 9 and 10, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. This is written to Christians, okay? When you look at the scriptures, there's a conversion example in Acts 8, 26 through 39 of the Ethiopian eunuch. And Acts 8, uh, as the conversation is going between the evangelists 
uh, Philip and the eunuch from Ethiopia, and the gospel is being taught to him. Philip asked him in Acts 8, 37, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Then he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they both went down to the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And in Acts 8, 37, there's a confession of Christ that is prior to this person being born into Christ, prior to him being immersed in water. That is not what Romans 10, 9, and 10 is talking about. Romans 10, 9, and 10 is written to people who have already been baptized into Christ. You see that in Romans 6, 3 through 6. They had already been baptized. In fact, we'll, we'll come to that text uh, here a little bit later in this podcast as I make a, a different separate point, and, and we'll read it then. So this is talking about Christians who are in need of continuing to confess Christ as time goes on. You're saved by continuing to confess Christ. It's unto salvation, though. The first time you confess Christ, you're not. it's not done, right? So, so far, we've got you're saved by hope. Here, faith and confession. 2 Corinthians 7, 9, and 10, written to Christians. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but to sorrow of the world work of death. Here, repentance is to salvation. So, faith and confession, repentance. 2 Thessalonians 2.13, We're bound to give thank always to God for you, brethren, beloved of our Lord, because he hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth added here. Hebrews 5.8 and 9, Though he were a son, yet learned obedience by the things which he suffered, being made perfect, became the author of eternal salvation unto all that obey him. Obedience. Well, what's that? That includes the entirety of the will of Christ, right? So you can't number this list. You can't say it's by this alone, that alone, or just by three things, or just five things alone, or just 10 things alone. Nor can you say that salvation is the same path for everybody. Just let me give you a quick, 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 very easy point to understand. An unmarried man is not saved the same way a married man is. Okay, Brian, how's that the truth? Because the unmarried man does not have to obey the command of Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And if you keep reading that context down to chapter 6 and verse 4, that married man has to bring up his children, if he has children, unto the nurture and, and correction of the Lord. Okay, well, the unmarried man doesn't have to follow through those commandments in Ephesians 5, through 6, 4. Just like if you keep reading, the master has different set of instructions he has to obey than the servant versus those who are never masters nor servants. Folks, Hebrews 5, 8, and 9 includes obedience to all of Christ's will, right? If you offend at one point, you're guilty of all, James 2.10. But if you were to number that list, that numbered list looks different for me. I'm a married man with children and doing the work of an evangelist than it does an unmarried man who works at a paper factory. There's a greater condemnation for me, James 3.1, because I've chosen to be a teacher, the standard is higher. You follow that? So how do you say salvation is by anything alone? Nor is salvation in Christ alone. 
Where's the father in that statement? In 1 John 4.10, here is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Who's behind Jesus coming? Furthermore, had Jesus died, been buried, risen on the third day and went into heaven, and the gospel was preached in Acts 2, but then that's the end, nothing after that? We wouldn't even be talking about salvation. You're following the first Peter study. Where are us Gentiles if you don't get through Acts 10 and 11? And Titus 1, 1 through 3, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which is after godliness and hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. But, hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. What happens if Christ goes to heaven and the gospel is not preached? None of us are saved. The church, the church, people will say, the church, it's all about Jesus. Well, it is definitely about Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, purchased the church with his blood, Acts 20 and 28. Yeah, he's the one that established it, built it, Matthew 16, 18, but not by himself. Think, think back to a text that if you're following the first Peter study again, I love that these things are overlapping some here. And, and you know, no doubt they overlap because that's where my mind is. Um, I hope that's where your mind is too. We get we get to join together in our, our joint studies of the Word of God if you're following both Sunday and Tuesday podcasts. Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, put this all together now, some of which you're familiar with if you're following Sunday's podcast. But we're going to go further than verse 17 where we've been stopping. It says, Wherefore remember that ye, being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace." that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. What happens if you remove the Spirit? Now notice, keep building. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Wait a minute. That's not Christ alone, right? Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fently joined together groweth unto the holy temple of the Lord in whom you are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. What about the work of the Spirit, the apostles and the prophets? What about it? Huh? What about it? Well, when you're saying Christ alone, what are you doing of the role of God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, the apostles, the prophets? You're saying they don't matter. They don't matter. It's in Christ alone. Folks, it's not in Christ alone. 
There's more to it. More to it. The Father, the Spirit, the apostles, like we just read. Even before Jesus was in the world, his coming was about promises. And those promises relied upon more than just Jesus. Think about in Acts 3.17 beginning, Peter is preaching and now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance you did it, talking about their killing of Jesus, as did your rulers. But those things which God before has showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he has so fulfilled. What about the role of the prophets? If you keep reading, think about Moses' role. He says, repent you therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out, that when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, he shall send Jesus Christ which before was preached unto you, whom the heavens must receive into the times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, a prophet shall Lord God raised up unto you of your brethren. So think about that connection. What about the role of Israel, the tribe of Judah specifically, and bringing Jesus in the world? He is from the tribe of Judah, Hebrews 7 and verse 14. What about that? What about if you were kept reading the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after? What about if you keep reading? You're the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, and thy seed shall all the kindred of the earth be blessed. Unto you first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sending to bless you and turning away every one of you from his iniquities. What about the whole process? What if Israel decides... We're done with God, totally and holy. Now listen, I don't want you to misconstrue anything. I'm not saying that Israel would have stopped God's plan had they walked away from God. God wouldn't have made that plan had he known Israel would have failed. Remember, everything that God put in place and had prophesied, he had determined before the foundation of the world. So God wouldn't have brought Jesus to to the cross through Israel had he not known ahead of time that that would have succeeded. In Isaiah 46, 9 through 13, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like him, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. I will do all my pleasure, calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executes my counsel from a far country. Yeah, I've spoken it. I will bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will do it. Hearken unto me, you stout-hearted that are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness. It shall not be afar off, and my salvation shall not tarry. I will place salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. When Peter was talking in 2 Peter chapter 1, 16 through 21, or writing, I should say, he says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. You hear that? We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well to take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts, knowing this first, and no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but by the holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. God, God's plan wasn't going to fail. 
When he made the promise, he knew the future. All things work together in God's plan. See, it's not, it's, it's the words of the prophets. It's the promises to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. It's everything that works together. Ephesians 1, 9 and 10, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he has purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven, which are on earth, even in him. All things work together in God's plan. And that's not separate from your works. Your good works in Christ have meaning. Now, think about this. If you take a Christian and a non-Christian, and you say the Christian is going to do a good work like you read in the parable of the Good Samaritan. A Christian sees somebody injured on the roadway, robbed and left left with nothing, Luke 10, 25 through 37, and the Christian helps this man. That's a good work, glorifying our Father which is in heaven. A non-Christian does the same thing and it's meaningless because good works outside of Christ do not produce fruit. Notice this, John 15, 1 through 11. Jesus says, talking to his disciples, I am the true vine. And my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. So listen, this is the point about works. Your good works apart from Christ are useless. Pay attention. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men do gather them and cast them in the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done to you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so you shall be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so I love you. Continue you, continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken unto you, that your joy, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. You do all those good works. If you're outside of Christ, you're still an evildoer. They, they mean nothing. You go the judgment day. You could have done a trillion more good works than any Christian that's ever walked the face of the earth. And those works mean absolutely nothing. In Matthew 7, 21 through 23, not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, show in the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and thy name cast out devils and thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I profess them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Oh, folks, grab that because it's abundantly clear. Are you listening? If you've missed this point, back up 10 minutes in this podcast. Go grab some Q-tips and some bobby pins and clean out your ears and hear what the Lord Jesus Christ says unto you. Your works outside of him are useless. God had a plan. 
All of it works together in him. That plan includes more than just Jesus, and it certainly is more than just you. The combination of you and Christ and your good works through his will glorifies the Father and rewards you in eternity. Take another example. I can be a great person, strong in faith, but what about my need for my brethren? What, what, what if I think, you know, I, I unfortunately, I know, I know of a, a, a brother in Christ who, not here in El Paso, mm, this, this is sad, sad to even talk about, think about, but I know of a brother in Christ that recently, in the past few months, fell away. And it's because he doesn't see the need of being a member and assembling with faithful brethren. And I've heard this from afar, and it really is heartbreaking. You can't be such a good person as to get to heaven without faithful brethren, without being part of faithful congregation. That's been a podcast. Go, go listen to that podcast. You need a congregation. Quick points from this. How do you obey this? Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, without assembling with faithful brethren, speaking the truth in love, may grow up in him all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working by the measure of every part, make an increase of the body of itself, make an increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. You can't self-edify. You need to be among faithful brethren for the work of edification to occur. For a clear context on this, 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 through 14, wherefore comfort yourselves together. Do you hear that word? And edify one another, even as you also do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Look at these Two collective instructions in this. Then, now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble minds, support the weak, be patient toward all men. You can't do this on an island by yourself. You have to be part of a fellowship of a local, faithful congregation. That's why the commands in Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 exist. Let us hold the profession of our faith without wavering, for he's faithful that promise. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You have to come together to be considerate of one another, to provoke one another, to love and good works. Here that comes back in, right? You can't forsake assembling together with brethren, brethren, because you have to exhort one another. There, they were facing the destruction of Jerusalem. It was imminent. It was coming. It was more important that they gathered more frequently, not less frequently. Folks, it is not in you alone. It is not by works alone. It is not by anything alone that you are saved. We need much help. That ought to humble you. No matter how much good you do for the sake of the Lord God of heaven, you ought to be humbled by the fact that you can't do it alone. So you're not saved by works alone. 
Yeah, but then you have people that start throwing out language and people start get getting confused. And, you know, some people say, yeah, you might not have salvation, but that's just looking at the end. But you have justification by something alone. Look, remove the alones. It's not by alone or only in any way, shape, or form. Though we've already discussed salvation and how it's not by anyone alone, these word games come up. And someone will, will listen to this podcast, no doubtably, and they might talk to others and say, no, no, he misses it. it we're not talking about salvation. We're talking about justification. Okay? Justification. Sanctification etc., etc., is not by anything alone or anyone alone. Now, let me use justification for an example, okay? Matthew 12, 37. For by words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Then Romans 2, 13 says, For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. So words and doing, that's two, two different things. Romans 5, 9, add to it. Much more than now being justified by his blood, we shall be saved by wrath through him. There he is. Same thing. Romans 6, 3 through 7. Know ye not. I said we're going to come back to this text. It says, know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we're buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we shall walk in the newness of life. For we have been planted together in the likeness of his death. We have also been in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. That word that's translated freed is the same Greek word translated justified. In Romans 5 and verse 1, it says, Therefore we are justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So justified by faith, Romans 5.1, justified by baptism, Romans 6.7. Yeah. Galatians 3.24, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we may be justified by faith. Well, is that faith only? No, James 2.24. See how that about works, a man is justified and not by faith only. Justification and whatever else you want to add into it is not by anything alone, okay? So when somebody starts to throw terms and you might get a little confused. Listen, listen, listen. Oh, my. You know, that, this could be a whole other podcast. I got to contain myself here. Sit back. Sit back and calm down for a minute here. There are people that would convince you that these words are compound. And you almost need to know Greek to understand. We have viable English translations. The King James Version even with the standard of English dropping in education level, if you study it through context, you, you can use context clues and understand even difficult words. It's not that difficult. I am not a genius. You do not have to be a genius. You don't have to have a degree. You don't have to be a scholar. When Paul was writing the people in Rome, these people were not scholars. When he's writing the people in Ephesus, they're not scholars. When Jesus is preaching, he's preaching to people. Why do you think he used parables about fishing and, and, and about planting crops? Because he's talking to fishermen and farmers. These weren't 21st century educated people. Ladies and gentlemen, if they could get it, you can get it too. But people want to intellectualize the gospel 
and make it as though you've got to be a genius to get it. And in doing so, they take very simple things and complicate it to the point where a lot of people just say, oh, he knows what he's talking about. I don't. Well, listen, you don't know what you're talking about because you've listened to him. Stop listening to him. Just read the context. It'll explain itself. One of my brethren here, he called me up recently. Shout out here to him. Uh, he called me up uh, recently, I don't know, in the last month. If you know me, you know my time frames get off. And, and we were talking about a, a particular passage and, um, and, and a certain subject matter. I'm trying not to, I don't want to have to add to the podcast explanation after explanation. And at one moment as we're talking, I said, well, well just, read, just read a couple verses down. Like, oh, there it is, right there in context. And then he said, duh. He said, that's it. Context always explains it. Yes, yes. More times than not, your confusion will be clarified if you just take the time to read the context. It's not that complicated. The Lord does not command you to go to some school to get educated in some language to be able to understand his word. Remember that Timothy from the time he was a child was taught the scripture, 2 Timothy 3.15. We read that earlier. Children can get it. I mean, I see it here. I see it here. I, I've talked about it recently. I mean, some of our young people, Liam likes to sometimes bring points up to me, and I'm just shocked. I'm like, wow, you know, th these young kids, five-year-olds, they get it. They, they understand things. They, they comprehend them. Uh, just this week, uh, we last week, last week, we had to get together at my house and uh, this, this young child, uh, Charlie, here you go. Charlie likes to hear her name in my podcast. Now, now it's almost a thing, right? <laughs> she comes up to me and she wants me to tell you that she learned about hypocrisy. And I said, oh, really? What is hypocrisy? And she actually explained it to me. Folks, these concepts are not beyond your ability to understand, children can get it. You can get it too. Now, some might go to other extremes beyond this illustration of justification. And they might say being saved is more on you than it is on Christ. And the desire in that is to elevate man role beyond our Savior. Look, it's a balance. It's a balance. And John 1, 29, the next day, John said, Jesus come to the world saying, behold, the Lamb of God, which take away the sin of the world. This is not said to any other person, okay? So it's not more on you without Christ's role. And then like we said earlier, without Abraham, without Isaac, without, without Noah building an ark, there's not even a population on this world, right? Come on, folks. In 1 John 4, 14, we have seen to do testify the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. You can't remove people from their roles. So for us, the takeaway is this. Be humble. Do good, but be humble. In Luke 17, 7 through 10, which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meet? And will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant, because he did things that were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise ye, when you shall have done all these things which are commanded you, say, We're unprofitable servants. We have done that which is our duty to do. Look, just having that humility, 
having that that understanding that hey look i i get things but and i'm going to do them but that doesn't make me great that just makes me the servant i ought to be the son or daughter i ought to be and first peter 5 5 and 6 Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Look, be humble. Yesterday, in between uh, our study here in El Paso and our worship service, uh, Paul and Christine's daughters come up to my daughter well, here Taylor sits, 25-year-old, uh, mentally retarded, uh, on the intellectual level beneath the Lovett's young children. And they sat, that well, they sat on their knees, actually, in chairs in front of Taylor, and were asking her to draw things. And I thought, you know, it would be great if everybody was as humble as these children. They didn't sit there and say, I'm not going to ask anything from Taylor. I'm already smarter than her. They, they, just, they just wanted a unicorn drawn. And, and you know what? Aria could draw a much better unicorn than Taylor can draw. But she still wanted one. And, and I just, I thought about that. And that's why Jesus called unto him the little children. Except you be converted and become as little children. And humble yourself, Matthew 18, 3 and 4, Right? I love to see these things. I love being around little children. I also love that they can go home with their mom and dad, <laughs> right? <laughs> but as an older man, I'm glad of that. But man, being around them is a lesson in itself. Folks, do your good works, but don't think that they alone are going to save you. You need all the working and workers, including people this very day, and a faithful local congregation for you to ultimately be saved. Be humble. Keep that in mind. If you got questions, I'd love to help. It is a privilege if you would call me and give me the opportunity to study with you. It's 915-525-5794. Just be ready to learn. You know, don't call me with argumentation. I'm not, I don't argue with people. Uh, I study with people. We'll look at the scriptures. I'll definitely hear you out. Um, if you have an understanding of a passage and you'd like to have a greater understanding, just understand that I'm a teacher and I don't like to sit on the phone and, or meet in person with people who just want to argue their position. Um, I know the truth. I teach the truth. I'd love to share it with you. You can email me, brian at wordsoftruth.net. You can visit the website, www.wordsoftruth.net. We can meet in person. We can Skype. You tell me how it would work for you to communicate, and I'd love the opportunity to sit down and let the Word of God do its job. All you'd be using me for is a resource to help you find those passages and expedite the process. Ultimately, it is the Word of God that you're going to obey, most certainly not my teaching. Thank you so much. And by that, by the way, I'm, my, I'm meaning my words aren't going to save you. It's the Word of God that saves you. I know some people hang on words, so I just want to clarify that. But thank you so much for listening. I hope that if all goes according to plan, we'll be back on, on Sunday with uh, First Peter again. Uh, until then, thank you so much. Goodbye.